What is up, Calvary? Good to see you. Good to see you. We got people out here. We got people out here. We even got people that can't see me that are over here in the great room. And uh, so hopefully they can hear and everything, though. We got people in the back room back there. And we have you online. And we're glad from wherever you are watching us today. Glad that you could be part of what is happening here at Calvary. It is awesome for us to be able to gather together. And uh, we truly believe that we are on the move and that we are going forward. And that is the series that we find ourselves in today. Now, before I get into the message, I actually want to take just a quick minute and take care of some church business uh, that we need to cover. And we talked about it a little bit last week, but uh, we're thrilled that God continues to move us forward, even as a campus. And just a few weeks ago, our deacons made a motion that we bring to our congregation the opportunity to add $150,000 to our present mortgage with the same company and uh, the same interest rate and all that kind of thing, but we're going to add that money because we are going to replace the roof that is on the administrative, the, the kids, the youth wing of our building, the wing that we are using. We need to replace that, and the time has come for us to do that now, and uh, so we want to take care of that. The other thing is we want to we reseal and stripe our parking lot and, in fact, the entire blacktop area that is around our campus. Much more could be done even with the area that we have in the back, even some more parking. So we are going to be asking to add 150000 to that present mortgage. We have been given preliminary approval, and uh, they'll be meeting again this week to decide that and move on that. But we wanted to bring it, of course, before our congregation and get your approval as we move forward. And uh, so in the previous service, we already got it supported by a couple of our members there. So we don't even need a support necessarily from this service, but we do need your vote. And uh, so we're excited actually. And part of the reason you say, how can you be excited to add money to your mortgage? That is a great question, okay? When they first said, hey, let's replace the roof, I'm like, hey, how about if we get out of a pandemic? But anyways, um, how awesome is God that he could, even through this, put us in the position where we are able to look at this? Only God could pull that off. Uh, and when I talked to the company that we're working with, actually, in Oklahoma, they're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and they talked about the fact that he said, I'm sorry that I didn't get back to you earlier, but we have seen so many churches having so many loans come through right now. He says, I am writing them faster than I can keep up with. And I said, maybe it's because something about this whole ordeal has kind of smacked the church in the back of the head and said, you know what? You better do everything you can right now because the days are short and we need to be working and doing everything we can with what God has given to us. That's why we're moving ahead with this. And so, in fact, we're getting a new sign. We're already making preparations for that. For those of you that looked for the sign and were like, Boy, that's a weird sign. You could put your fist right through it. But we're getting ready to have that replaced and lit up so that we can see it at night and all that kind of thing. So uh, we're excited about all of that, but we want to get your approval for it. So it has been given the motion by the deacons. It has been supported by a couple of our members in the earlier service. All in favor, say aye. aye. Online, just type in aye. I'm kidding. Now, any opposed? And that motion is carried. Let's give the Lord a big hand on that one. Can we do that? 
It's one of the reasons I'm glad we're getting the sign and the parking lot because I don't think when we get the roof we're going to like have a ladder out there so you can climb up and see it. You'll just have to know it's there, okay? But uh, the parking lot you'll be able to see. Hopefully, hopefully, depending on the weather, we can get all this stuff done before it snows. Anyways, um, didn't want to say that too loudly, but uh, glad that you are here. We are finishing up this series today. And most of the time, and I'll make sure that every once in a while I look this direction, okay? For one thing, my daughter's over there. I want to make sure she's paying attention. But every once in a while, I just have to make sure that they're, they're with me. But we're finishing up a series today. Oftentimes, I come to you, and I'm bringing you a message from the Word of God. And I'm trying to give you some practical application as to how to apply the principles of the Word of God. And I am believing God has given me this message and that through me, He's giving you this message. And I stand up with some pretty decent authority. I can muster that, can't I? And say... Thus saith the Lord, or the Bible says. Uh, I've, I've got that voice that I can use if I need to. Today, it's a little different. Today, I'm bringing you a message that the Lord has kind of been dealing with me about. And he's been bringing to my attention. And as I look at Scripture, it is the way that I am interpreting Scripture that I'm reading, that people have shown me, that I've seen through various studies. And some theologians who are much smarter than me might look at that and say, well, I'm not really sure, and they could be completely correct. But I have a feeling that what I'm going to share with you today, I want you to just kind of chew on, talk about over the dinner table, pull it apart in your own life, look at the verses, and see if it doesn't apply to you. And here's where we're going today. Here is the bottom line thought. It's this. Joy is a reflection of our connection. In a follower of Jesus Christ, joy is a connection, is a reflection of our connection. Joy and happiness, they're two different things. And we often say that, and again, I've said it with authority. But what's the difference? What's the difference? We want to get into that today. And so I hope that you will jump in with us as we wrap up this series. And actually, we're going to go back to last week and grab a point that we made, but we're going to tear it apart just a little bit further today. And if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And, and here's where we want to go. We, humans, created in the image of God, we are wired for joy to be found in relationships. And that's why I say to you that joy is a reflection of our connection. Joy in our lives can be lost. Joy in our lives, you ready for this, can be leaked. You can leak joy. You ever, you ever pull in your driveway and get out and do something in the house, come back out, pull out, and you look on your cement there, and something's been leaking. You may not even know what it is, but you're like, oh, that doesn't look good. 
you got to keep an eye on it. Why? Because you know that if you're leaking something important, it's not going to be long, and your car is not going to be running to its full capacity. In fact, there are some things that you could leak, and all of a sudden your car would not run. I just wonder if it's possible that believers in Christ, when they find themselves bogged down, when we find ourselves not even able to operate and move forward, it's because we've lost the connection. Joy is a reflection of our connection. Let me, let me read to you Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, or the author and finisher, some of your translations might say, of our faith. For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him for the, what's the next word? Joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. Now, he starts chapter 12, verse 1, with the word, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to find out what it's Therefore, oh, come on. There you go. Whenever you see it there, why, why is that there? The reason that is there is because in chapter 11, he has been giving to us what some people call the hall of faith. Not the hall of fame, although technically that's really what it is. It is the hall of fame of faith. It's men and women who have lived down through the ages and their stories have been one of faithfulness and steps of faith in God. The author of Hebrews is the one that said that it is faith that pleases God. The only thing, in fact, that pleases God is our faith. It is faith that moves the hand of God. And so in chapter 11, he gives to us these men and the women. Now, here's the great thing. They're not perfect. They're messed up. In fact, some of them are really messed up. Some of them you might even look at and say, huh? How did they get a plaque in the Hall of Fame of Faith? But they're mentioned. And it is awesome to know that they're mentioned because that gives us hope. And he says, therefore, since this group, and in fact that chapter says, the earth, the world, didn't deserve them. Why? Because of their faith. But he says, this group, their job continues. Therefore, since these men, these women are in heaven, since this great cloud of witnesses is cheering us on, there are some awesome verses in Scripture that don't necessarily give great detail of heaven but they are an encouragement, aren't they, to people who have lost somebody you love? They are of great encouragement to know that these men and women who died, 
They're up there right now cheering us on. And don't you think that every once in a while, every once in a while, maybe God allows that person to sneak into those bleachers and see what you're doing and see how you are running your race. Somebody asked me today, hey, pastor, you're looking pretty sharp today. I said, well, you know, <laughs> every once in a while, I think maybe God lets dad in those bleachers. So I just want to make sure he sees I do have a suit coat. I can wear it once in a while. Don't worry, next week I'll wear jeans. I want to be all things to all people. That's what Paul said. <clears throat> but every once in a while, maybe God allows those loved ones to be in the stands to see what's happening in our lives. They are cheering us on. So the author says, since they're cheering us on, let us run the race that is set before us with perseverance, with endurance. We are not running this race as a sprint. This is a race of endurance. This is a race that keeps going. And, and to be honest, sometimes there's not a lot of highlights in a marathon, are they? I mean, have you ever, have you ever sat down and watched an entire marathon race? Please, just don't even raise your hand if you have, okay? Because you need to get a life. But anyways, how boring. I mean, show it at the beginning and then show the end. That's what they do in the Olympics, right? They jump around to six other different sports, and then they'll come back three hours later, and here they come. It's a race of endurance. You keep going. You keep going. And there's a crowd of witnesses that are cheering us on as we run this race. So the author says, therefore, keep your eyes on Jesus. As we run this race of endurance, he says, why don't you get rid of the stuff that's weighing you down? You've never seen anyone, I don't think, run a marathon in a parka and snow boots. Okay? That's just not going to work. They want to take off everything that weighs them down. And the author of Hebrews says, you've got to get rid of, well, first of all, the sin. Let's be honest. There is some junk in your life that can easily keep you from running the race that God has called you to run. Get rid of that. But then he takes it a step further. He says, in fact, get rid of the weight that can easily be. There's, sometimes there's nothing wrong with that stuff. Some of it might even be good, but it's keeping you from that which is what? Best. It's keeping you from having the room inside you for God and his love and his joy to come in and be part of your life to spur you on through this race. During this isolation period, my wife had me watch a program, and actually I think it was introduced to us by our daughter, and there's this young lady named Marie Kondo. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she's like, she's a... I don't know what she is. I, she's a tidier upper, okay? But that's not really. She, she's got a, you know, a show on HGTV, and we watched a couple. Of, and they, she goes into these homes, and they're a mess, you know? There's like five kids, and the closets are just a mess, and the dresses are a mess, and there's no room for anything. And she goes in and helps them to organize. Now, here's the thing. The first thing she does is she goes into the bedroom. She opens the closet. And, of course, she's overloaded as all the stuff comes falling out of the closet. And she opens the drawer, and it's just all stuff everywhere. She she says, take all this out and put it on the bed. So they take all the clothes out and they throw them on the bed. And I did this. I had way too much time during this pandemic isolation. I did this. I took my dresser and I poured it out in the bed. Then she says, 
take each article of clothing and hold it out in front of you and see if it brings you, wait for it, joy. I did not do this. Okay? Just want you to know, dumped it all out, did not hold the article of clothing and find out if it brought me joy. I, I'm not sure that articles of clothing can do that. Neither is she. Do you want to know what she was saying? The art of, it's not the article of clothing. It's what the clothing represents. Where'd you get that? Who were you with when you bought that? Where did you get that concert t-shirt? When was that? What time? What season of life? What memories does it bring back? And if it brings back some joy, then hang on to it. She even told me how I could fold my clothes. So I now fold them this way and all my t-shirts sit up and you're like, you got a real problem. Anyways, I do, but can I tell you something? It ain't in the morning when it comes to picking t-shirts because I can see them all right there. <laughs> the joy is from the connection. Not the connection to the piece of cloth. The connection to others that the piece of cloth represents. In fact, her website says our goal is to help more people live a life that sparks joy. And I thought to myself, maybe that should be the church's website motto. We want people to experience a life that is filled with more joy. And if Jesus had joy even on his way to the cross, then is it possible for us to experience the connections that are necessary to have that same kind of joy? And let me give you three quick points from this passage of Scripture. Number one is this. Connection, connection with Jesus is the foundation for joy. Connection with Jesus is the foundation for joy. Joy's foundation is when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we begin to look in his direction. And if you have not established yet that foundation in your life, then today is the best day for you to take that step of faith and Make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and invite him to come in and be your savior because that is the foundation on which the rest of life, on which the rest of our joy is built. It's on him. So the author says, fix your eyes on Jesus. We have a little dog by the name of Esther. In fact, both of our dogs are named after biblical characters. One is named Hosea. He's a prophet. Esther is a queen. It's amazing how actually those two names fit them. They are not very spiritual, just so you know. Um, but we have a little dog named Esther. Esther loves to go for walks. But here's the thing. Esther doesn't really walk, okay? I'm thinking, you know, I see people in our neighborhood, in the community, out walking their dogs, and this is what they do. They walk with their dogs. It's kind of interesting how they just walk with their dogs. It's called a walk, not with Esther, okay? Esther... Esther believes that she is part mountain lion. And when she, sees, when she sees a squirrel or a bunny, it's as if you're watching the National Geographic special and a pride of lions has just come across a herd of zebras. Right? Have you ever seen them? And they just kind of inch slowly and their tails go straight out in the air. That's Esther. I'm like, are you sure this is a dog? And she just gets fixed 
Now, the problem is Esther can be in the middle of a road and a car can be coming. You want to know something? Doesn't phase her. People can drive by on bikes. The person walking her could be robbed. It's not going to matter. She is fixated. She is so entranced by the squirrel or the bunny that sometimes, in order to keep going on the walk, Lori has to actually go over, pick her up, and walk away with the dog because she is so fixed on that squirrel. You want to know something? Esther's got the right idea. Because all kinds of stuff can be happening around her. She is fixated on the... And the author of Hebrews says, fix your gaze, your eyes. Remember Peter? Jesus said in the midst of a storm, hey Peter, you want to walk on the water? Come on. And Peter stepped out of the boat and began walking towards Jesus. But as soon as what? As soon as he heard the thunder, as soon as he felt the waves and the water crashing around him, as soon as he saw that lightning, he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink into the water. And how many followers of Christ amidst the circumstances of our life, our gaze is taken somewhere else. The author says you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He says a relationship with Christ, even though you didn't know him like I did, even though you never saw him like I had the privilege of seeing him and being with him, you know him. And he gives you a joy that doesn't make any sense. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And too many times, even those that are followers of Christ, we fix our eyes on other things. We fix our eyes on other people. We fix our eyes on other goals. And when those fail, and when those falter, and when those are gone, oh, we begin to sink. Why? Because we've lost our focus. And the foundation for joy is found when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. Joy's foundation comes when we fix our eyes on Jesus. And the problem is our eyes are always darting around, you know? I, I am exactly the opposite of Esther. And sometimes my wife will even say, she'll be talking to me, and then in the middle of what she's saying, she'll go, there goes a bunny. Why'd she say that? Because she knows that I have just gone off on some rabbit trail that has nothing to do with what she's saying. She's lost me. Where's your head? And we get so... And, and, and life is happening at such a breakneck speed and things are coming at us 24-7 and we can so easily get distracted. And the problem is that sometimes those distractions, there's nothing wrong with them, they're a good thing. They bring even a certain amount of happiness, don't they? I went, my wife already knows this, I went to the mall the other day, Okay? I just, I hadn't been to the mall. I hadn't been to Macy's. You're like, aren't, aren't you a guy? That's because the last time you went, you're like, I don't like this. I don't ever want to go back. So I thought, all right, I need to go experience this by myself. So I went to the mall. 
I, I am a just, you know, I was raised differently than most, okay? Some of you, you pursued 100% attendance. My parents used to take me out of school for something called downtown Detroit days, all right? Do you know what this is? Some of you probably don't. This is when Detroit had big shopping experiences for three days in a row. And my brother and I would get off of school to go to Detroit to go to Hudson's, Macy's now, and they had a big 12-story building, and we would spend the whole day away from school shopping so that my mom could make us try on clothes that they would buy. So this is the, you know, this is just me. It's the way I grew up. I'm in therapy, but I'm okay. So I went to the mall, and I'm looking around. There, there is, for me, it's just a little bit of a release. Look at some stuff, you know. Look for a good deal, Nick. I'm not above that. It provides some happiness. What's going on, though? At some point, the happiness is going to be right. Does it bring you joy? Well, no, and it doesn't fit. So we throw it away. It's temporary, okay? Chocolate. Ah, love it, don't you? Nothing wrong. God has given us all things to enjoy, but if we are putting our joy somehow in those things, do you live to eat or do you eat to live? My wife asked me that once a week at least. Well, I'm not really sure. But anyways, I enjoy it. Happiness, problem is, meal's going to be over pretty soon. So if we're finding, trying to find our joy in some, and let's be honest, those things can lead to other things, can't they? In fact, those things oftentimes people don't find satisfaction. That high did not last quite long enough when I left the mall. So therefore, I'm going to try this. And you get into a whole level of stuff that can become very addictive and can pull us down. What's going on? We are leaking joy. We are leaking like a sieve. And these are pseudo joy experiences that people think will supply, but they don't. In fact, oftentimes when you get to that level, what you find out is at the end of it, you are more empty than when you started. And low joy cultures see an increase in pseudo joy activities. And building joy actually is a part, a lot of times, of any addiction program. Got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the foundation. Here's the second thing. Connection with others is the fuel for joy. Connection with Jesus is the foundation for joy. That's where it starts. But connection with others is the fuel for joy. Joy is fueled by our relationship with others. Motivation, inspiration, affirmation all comes from our relationship with other people. And scripture tells us as much. Hebrews chapter 10, same author. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. When was that written? 
2,000 years ago. And if the author of Hebrews thought that the day of the return of Christ was near then, how much closer are we to it today? We're going to get into some interesting topics in the next few weeks. Next week, I'm going to preach on a topic that I swore I would never preach on. We're going to talk about politics. <laughs> oh, is that going to be a good time? And I'm going to try to make as many of you mad as possible before you leave here. Um, no, we're going to talk about politics. We're, we're going to talk about what, did, who, what would Jesus do? How did he react back in his day? We're going to talk about that for one week. And then we're going to get away from that. And we're going to go to the book of Revelation. Not revelations, it was one revelation. But I've had more than one person ask me in these past months, hey, do you think that this is the end of the world? Do you think we are living in the last days? And so we're going to look at the book of Revelation and see just even what those last few chapters tell us. And here is something that should encourage you. It's good news. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's good news. In fact, I don't want to blow it for you, but we win. Okay, I'll just, I'll throw that out to you. Now you'll be like, well, I don't need to come then. Um, but anyways, we're going to get into that. But in the meantime, Hebrew says, you got to do it more. Now listen, I have more than one time thanked God that I am not a governmental leader in the year 2020. Okay, it's enough to be a pastor, thanks. I am glad I am not the governor. I am glad I am not the president. I have no desire to run for president. I'm glad I'm not in Congress or the Senate. I'm thrilled. I would not want to be in their position. I think that for the most part, for the most part, every once in a while, yeah, things are driven by politics and all this. But for the most part, I think that they have made the best decisions with the information that was available to them. I don't really think any of them, any of them, knew how this thing was going to play out and what they should do. I really don't. Now, we may get two years down the road, you may watch the PBS special, you know, Corona, what you didn't know. And they'll share with you all of the things and we'll be like, ah, I knew it. But I, I just think that for a lot of it, it was so this isolation, you know, for the time period where there were quite a few weeks where we weren't going anywhere. I mean, this building was tightened up and buttoned up and we weren't even coming into the office and everybody's working at home and that kind of thing. I think they were doing the best with the information they have. I think they were endeavoring to keep as many people safe as possible. So I am not discounting that. I also don't think it's how God intended for people to live. Okay? I'm just throwing that out there. Doesn't mean that we didn't have to do it for a time period, but it's not what God intended. Because at the beginning, God looked down at creation after he created paradise, perfection, animals, man, and he says, good, 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 every day in a row until he creates Adam. And he looks down, and there's Adam, and he says, not good. All the women are like, <laughs> yeah, he did. Not good. What's going on? He needs somebody to connect with. So he creates Eve. And Eve comes and Adam says, yeah. Now we got something going. And God says, very good. Now, here's the problem. Within one chapter of scripture, this perfect family in paradise is blown to bits. And dysfunction has come in. Sin, guilt, 
anger, murder, has already affected the first family. But God already had in motion a plan. I'm going to send my son to reestablish the connection with me, but then he's also going to establish something called the church. And the church will be the family of God so that even people whose physical families have fallen into dysfunction can find brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ with the same heavenly Father. Now, has the church always done a good job of being that family? No. No. Why? Because we're part of it. <laughs> we're all a mess. And that's why the Messiah came. And so the church is a messed up group of people. The idea is though we realize we're a mess and we come to connect together. And so our lives, our joy tanks are fueled by our relationship with others. Where does it start? Our relationship with him. Maybe that's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because he knew the importance of that connection. And I know what you're gonna say, Billy, <laughs> I, I get what you're going, and, and yes, my, my tank, my reservoir of joy can be filled in connections with other people, but I gotta tell you, I can also meet up with some people, and by the time I've left that conversation, my joy tank is, ready, empty. They have emptied me out. Yeah. Yeah, you can probably think of somebody in your office. Somebody down the hall, somebody on the line, somebody has a locker next to yours, somebody on the team, a teacher you had, a kid in your grade, somebody that sits around the table at Thanksgiving. <laughs> and they just kind of... And you're exhausted. So here's the question that you have to ask yourself then. When it comes to joy, am I a drain? Am I a strain? Or am I a gain? Am I a drain? Am I a strain? Or am I a gain? Now, some people... Some people, maybe you're, you're a drain, all right? And the truth is, you just can suck the life out of the best situation so quickly. You gotta stop that. That is not of God. He's not up there applauding. Every time you make being a Christian look like you had to be baptized in lemon juice. That is not commendation. And seemingly, there was a generation or two of Christians that came along, and that's kind of the way they made outsiders feel. Well, you think you got the life sucked out of you out there? Just come on in here. We'll suck the rest of it out. We'll drain you. Dirty, rotten people. God's sick of your sin. Now go tell somebody about Jesus. 
How are you going to do that? So what are you? Do you drain? Now, some people are a strain. You know what that is? That's kind of the 50-50 person, right? You kind of you go into it like tiptoeing, right? <laughs> okay, this could be pretty good, or maybe not. But then there are those people, aren't there? And man, I hope you know some. And man, I hope that some of them are here. There are those people that are the gain. And every time you interact with them, you leave the conversation a little fuller because they have poured into you joy. God, I want to be that. And I'll be honest with you. When I was 25, I didn't care about your joy. I cared about mine. And my joy was so wrapped up in happiness, it's not even funny. But the older I get, part of it is the realization of how much people reacted to my dad that way. And there were some people that, man, he should have been ticked off at. And it probably even bothered my brother and I that he wasn't. But man, every time he'd see him at Bill Knapp's, well, how are you? Bless you, man. It's good to see you. How are the kids? I'm like, Pfft. I'd even talk to them. He was constantly looking to fill people up. And here's the thing. People that do that, they find out that when they allow themselves to be that conduit of joy that definitely comes from a heavenly father, it fills them up too. Oh, that we would be okay with going out into life and being depleted for the next week so that everywhere we go, we are just a conduit of joy, the joy of Jesus. And then next Sunday we come and part of the reason we come is to what? Fill back up. Fill back up. So that we can go out and be depleted again. Joy is so much different than happiness because here's the thing. Are you, does that mean you're never sad? No. I mean, there's always going to be despair. There's always going to be discouragement. There's always going to be guilt. There's always going to be fear. Those emotions are part of our life. But here's what Jesus proved. I can be sad and still have, help me out. I can even be angry but still have, yeah. Jesus refused to let what people were doing to him, even as he marched to Calvary, keep him from his joy. So it doesn't mean that you're no longer going to have difficulties. There's no longer going to be sadness. There's no longer going to be... No, we are going to experience those things. But doesn't it make a difference if we can experience those things along with joy? There are some who have been depleted of their joy because of trauma with a T. And let me tell you something, those that are brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be pouring in to those people. They've experienced trauma, okay? 
and that depletes joy. Oh, that we would be pouring into them the love of Christ, the joy of Christ. Now, there's another group of people that they don't get depleted because of trauma, they get depleted because of drama. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference. Because sometimes people, they actually feel more comfortable in the dysfunction of drama, so if they don't have any, they'll look for it. You gotta be careful there, because those people can suck the joy right out of the situation, right? So, let me share this with you and then I'm going to share with the last point and then we got to be done. I, I got to get you out of here. There was a study done, not by Liberty University, not by Moody Bible Institute, not by Cornerstone College. This study was done by the theological school known as Harvard University. Okay? That was sarcastic. Um, yeah, they're, they're not really theological in their stance. Harvard University did an 80-year study. Started in the 30s. Still continuing. Started with a group of men. Why just men? Because in the 30s, that's all that could attend Harvard. Then it expanded. It expanded to the offspring of these men. It expanded to women. It expanded to other people. It covered all degrees of socioeconomic background. And in this 80-year study, Harvard University came to this conclusion. Good genes are nice, and they're not talking about your Levi's, okay? They're talking about what you were created with. Good genes are nice, but joy is better. The 80-year study proved that embracing community helps us live longer and be happier. The Harvard study found a strong association between happiness and close relationships with spouses, family, friends, and social circles. Dr. Robert Waldinger, director of the Harvard Study of Adult Development, this is what he says, personal, uh, personal connection creates mental and emotional stimulation which are automatic mood boosters, while isolation is a mood buster. <laughs> he said this, of course, prior to all of this happening. But I'll guarantee you that it will be years before we come to a full understanding of everything that we've been through and the effects of it. Isolation is a mood buster. The clearest message we get from this 75-year study is this. Good relationships keep us happier and healthier. Social relationships, or the relative lack thereof, constitute a major risk factor for health, rivaling the effect of well-established health risk factors such as cigarette smoking, high blood pressure, blood lipids, obesity, and lack of physical activity. Chances of survival increase by 50%. That's Harvard. You know what they're doing? Personally, I think what they're doing, they're putting their stamp of approval on what God said. For the joy that was set before him. Can I tell you something? The joy that was in front of Jesus while he was walking up Golgotha's road was not a Big Mac and fries that he was going to enjoy a few days later. 
It was not the fish fry down at the local restaurant by the Sea of Galilee. The joy that was in front of him, are you ready for this? Was you. The joy that was in front of him was the reconnection of relationship that had been disrupted way back in Genesis chapter 2. And last week we touched on it, and in fact, they sang about it this morning. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Joy is filled knowing that God has fixed his gaze towards us. God's connection to us fills our joy to overflowing. Our connection to Jesus is the foundation. Our connection with others is the fuel. But the fact that he desires to connect with me is what fills me to overflowing. And in fact, it's the only thing, isn't it? It's the only thing. Knowing that his face is turned towards you. You say, well, yeah, Billy, that's, you know, that's Old Testament. All right, then jump ahead to the New Testament. And Jesus is talking with his disciples, the last conversation before everything that would happen, that week of passion. And he says in John chapter 15, 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Actually, some of your translations say your joy may overflow. God looks for you, towards you, and his eyes twinkle with delight when he sees you, when he sees you moving towards him. Remember that prodigal son who realized, man, my, my father's servants have it better. Maybe I'll just go and plead my case. And while he was still far off, Jesus said, the father had been looking for him and ran out to meet him. That's God. So you may have tried all of the pseudo-happiness things in life that life has to bring, that life has to offer, and what you have found is that they just leave you even more empty, God is still looking for you to turn towards him because he's the only one that can fill that void in your life with his joy. And I know, I know, I know we gotta be done and so I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up. But, but hang with me, even if you're online, hang with me for one more moment. I know, I know that some of you you're going through circumstances right now where you're like, <laughs> this was not the message I needed. Because I am not joyful. If you knew my circumstance, if you knew what was going on, God really is looking my direction? Are you serious? How do I know this? 
because he looked at you before. He looked at you before. Write down, if you're taking notes, Psalm 77. We're not going to read it, but read it sometime. Psalm 77. You want to know what happens? The psalmist is like, God, where in the world are you? You know I'm here, right? You know what I'm going through, right? And then about halfway down, he says, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. God, let me remind you of some stuff you did for me before. The book of 1 Samuel says that that old prophet Samuel, the Israelites were getting ready to fight a battle and they were nervous and they were afraid and the circumstance didn't look good. And so it says that Samuel set up an Ebenezer. Now I know some of you are like, well, what in the world is he doing setting up a Scrooge in the middle of a battlefield? No, an Ebenezer was actually a marker. And the marker was set there to remind people of what God had done before. And if God came through before, God will come through again. It may not be exactly in your timing. It may not be exactly the way you want it, but God will come through again. You know, I can't help it. I've, I've thought this even during this week that I've put this message together. If God put a miracle building up one time, he'll put it up again. There's been one miracle that happened back in 1972, and my dad was a major part of that miracle and he believed in God well now I've got a brother that's got to be just a little bit nervous if it'll happen again oh it'll happen again because it was never really dad's to begin with it was God's it was God's some of you have some kids and you are concerned about them because they are not walking with Jesus but you've got to rely on the promise of Proverbs that said raise up a child in the ways go. And here, here's, here's the tough part. When he is what? Old. Old. Oh, you're like, yeah, but I'm the one getting older. Yeah. Yeah, here's the thing. You may not be around to see it, but set that Ebenezer up. I have been reminded just in this past week, just in the past weeks, there have been so many times when I have felt sorry for myself during this time period. Have you felt that way? And understandably so. We're human, right? I want to go see a movie. <laughs> and I get to. You're like, will you be one of the first? No, but I'm going. I would highly recommend you go work out. Nobody's going. I'm just throwing that out there. I went yesterday, I counted the people. We have more in this section than we're working out with me. So anyways. I mean, there are times when I can feel sorry for myself and I can feel sorry for myself for far more than that. All right? And so can you. But when those times come, can I tell you something? Set up an Ebenezer. Remember what God has done before because he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God. Don't, listen, you get, 
get involved, okay? You can be involved, and we'll talk about this next week. You can be for a president or for a running person running in the other party. You can be an independent. Maybe you're a libertarian. We all want freedom. Uh, I don't know what you are. Get involved. Be excited. That's awesome. But don't for one second think that somehow if you don't get the results you think you're supposed to get, that God has somehow stepped away from the throne on November 4th. <laughs> I'm getting excited again, Lord. i got to calm down. Oh, he's not going anywhere. If he's been there before, he'll be there again. And oftentimes, when we feel like God is distant in our lives, listen, listen, he's not the one that moved. He's not the one that moved. Oh, man, am I going to hear it from my son-in-law. I am so far over. i got to be done. Does it make sense? I, I hope you'll chew on this a little bit. Some of you might, and it's okay if you disagree with me on this a little bit, but I want you to chew on it. My wife even said, I don't know if I agree with you all on this. But listen, we are reservoirs of joy that need to be used up as we become joy for other people. And then we come and we replenish. We fix our eyes on him. We come together and encourage and motivate one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We fill up our tank. And then we get overflowing with the blessing that for some unknown reason in his grace and love and mercy, God is actually looking down at you with a twinkle in his eye. And that relationship causes your joy to overflow so that even in the midst of the circumstances, Jesus could be on Calvary's cross but not be without joy. Incredible. And you, you were part of that joy that he was thinking about. Oh, Father. probably should have made this more than one message and maybe we'll come back to it again Lord but the circumstances of our life can so oftentimes divert our attention divert our gaze move us to look at other things even move us to try other things to bring to us a satisfaction that is fleeting and we so oftentimes are looking for temporary happiness when you have offered us eternal joy. May we tap in to the tree of life that never runs out of that. May we fix our eyes on you. May we endeavor to be joy in our relationship with others. And may we rejoice in the fact that for some odd reason you love us and you look down at your children even right now with a twinkle in your eye longing for us to look back so that our joy can be filled to overflowing. Father, please allow that to happen. I know that there are some today, Lord, that so need something tangible to happen in their lives so that they can experience that, feel that, you know who they are, Lord. I pray you do that for them. But Lord, may all of us, 
all of us, Lord, as, as I, dare I say it, as we head, Lord, to the holidays, as we head to the end of this year that so oftentimes has been beyond our understanding, may we look to the light of life to restore us, to fill us, and may we take that light and share it and show it with others. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You know, if you're here, especially if you're here with us or if you're watching online and there's never been that moment when you said yes to Christ, man, I would encourage you even right now in this moment just to simply say, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. And if you pray that prayer and mean it in your heart, just that quick, you'll become a child of God. And if you did that, then I hope you'd see one of us today before you leave and let us know. But if you're online, just tap that button that appeared on your screen and let us know that today you accepted Christ as your Savior. And know that we will be praying with you as you begin this new walk of faith with Christ. God bless you today.